expanding the Nerdosphere, talking on everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Pataglia. Happy 2016, and that means you were at episode 93 of the Down and Nerdy podcast, where when they watch the ball drop on Oa, they just attach Modoc to the nearest flagpole. <laughs> that's 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 true. That, that's imagery. True imagery. Think about it for a second. You you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh my god. That is very true. And what a way to kick off 2016, am I right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the dropping <laughs> of the Modoc. Oh, boy. I'm James with him alongside. I'm Merck with one arm, Nick Pataglia. Yeah, man. Happy New Year. How was your, uh, you know, we were off last week with our best of show, but, you know, how was your Christmas? It feels weird to say that we were off. Uh, yeah. but, but we were, you know, we like to we like to celebrate Christmas. Great Christmas with the family. It was just too warm, which was kind of weird because we started opening presents inside the house and then Jameson wanted to go outside. So we took the presents outside and started opening gifts outside, which was really weird. <laughs> really weird. But, I mean, it was interesting. Yeah. So what nerdy things did you get for Christmas? I got to tell you, I got this sweet uh, Batman Arkham City statue. Yeah. That's just, it's beautiful. And I got one of those. Now, my wife says I'm hard to shop for, which I think is insane. It's hard, I think it's hard, you're hard to shop for because in terms of nerdiness, like you've gotten everything pretty much. I, I've gotten – I mean she got me a, a Batman logo mirror. <laughs> it's huge. So I'm like, that's awesome. And then, of course, you know those deco lights that they sell in the stores, right, where like the head's coming out of the wall and stuff? Yeah, yeah, Which yeah. I already have a Spidey one in the, man, in the uh, nerd cave. But she got me a Star Wars one, and which one did she pick? Vader? The Death Star. Oh, okay. I was like, yep, if you're going to pick one, that's the one to pick. <laughs> well, speaking of Star Wars, of course, we're going to be doing our review of The Force Awakens later in Geek Tame, and a lot of people are going to be excited for that because it is going to be spoiler-filled. I mean, the movie's been out since the 18th, so if you haven't seen it by now, tough shit. <laughs> um, well, hey, I mean, you're, you've been warned, okay? Yeah. We're uh, warning you now. We're going to warn you again. I want to kind of highlight a couple of my gifts I got. I got. I sent you pictures of these. I got the uh, giant... Uh, figures of Darth Vader and Kylo Ren. <laughs> I love that too. I saw one of them on Facebook, which was the was was the like the sleep pants or the lounge pants. Oh yeah, the, so, the, 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 the pajama pants. Yeah, and Kylo Ren pajama pants. Your entire leg is enveloped in Kylo Ren. <laughs> yeah, I have like I have like Tie Fighters flying across my ass. It's, it's fantastic. It's pretty awesome. I mean, hey, we've all been there, right? It's like it's like those juicy pants, except instead of it saying juicy on the ass, it's, it has Tie Fighters flying. Yes, across. that is the way it's done. <laughs> <laughs> But other than that, that was, it was a good, good thing. My mom made me this giant stocking of, like, Marvel heroes. I mean, it was very cool, yeah. It was a very, very nerdy Christmas, I got to tell you, man. I really do got to tell you. Plus, I gave your, your kid a, uh, a couple of Spider-Man things. Yes, too. you did, and, and he loved it. And it's going to be one of those things where he's going to broaden his Spidey Horizons because you got Spidey 2099 on there. And, I mean, hey, you got it. It's not so just people Peter who are Parker. Wondering, yeah, well, people who are wondering, I didn't buy his son, like, a, a figure. I pretty much have a Spider-Man coloring book, and I'm like, you know what? I can't, I don't have a lot of money. I can't give a lot, so I might as well color some things for, for James and even for James as well. And by that mean, I'm still waiting for you to do my art thing for my art wall. But, but think bit. about this, man. Adult coloring is a thing now. 
It is. This is a legit fad right now. So it's, it's so you're kind of you're like you know what. I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it in nerd fashion. Now what's going to end up happening is you're going to leave the damn show because you're going to become like a colorist or something. (laughs) Leave me here by myself. So thanks a lot for that. Um, Trust me, I don't have the skills of a colorist at all. (laughs) Well, we've got plenty of skills on this show because we're expecting a huge 2016. As a matter of fact, we've got Brian Wood on this week to talk about Star from Image Comics. He's also, if you recognize the name, yep, he did right. For some Star Wars, for Dark Horse, so you can bet that we're going to ask him what he thinks of The Force Awakens as well. Exactly. Well, speaking of comics, let's just jump right to it because coming up next, we got two new comics this week because what we're reading is coming up next here on Down Nerdy. This is comic book writer Brendan Fletcher, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds. We pull out the long boxes and we discuss... What we're reading this week, of course, this week, as always, every week, is brought to you by the fine folks over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards and Aragorn Boulevard in Virginia Beach. Go see Bob. Go see all the great things that he has for your nerd heart and the nerds that you love. So, James, I'm going to go first this week, and, you know, we're both looking at my computer right now. I'm going to pull it up real quick. I decided to go a little bit of a Western route this week. I decided to review Fistful of Blood, number three from IDW. Now, I reckon. <laughs> yes, you do. Now, it was. here's the cool thing. Created, written, and drawn by Kevin Eastman and Simon Bisley. Nice. Colors, of course, by Tommy Varga. Now, here's the thing. This is issue three. It's a four-part series. Issue. It's a monthly. Issue three just came out this week, and I got to tell you, man, Here's a quick premise of what it is. So it's set, the time frame, you don't know, you just know it's after the 1960s. Okay. Um, and it's set in this small town where they did a lot of shooting for a West, Western movies when they were popular, because that's what one of the characters does. And he says, oh, you know, this is what the, the town was. And then he says, what happened was, he's like, they shot this movie called Fistful of Blood, which is Fistful of Dollars. So, ah, okay. So pretty much this and this woman who stumbles into town, her name, she has no name. She doesn't, she has, throughout three issues, not one word has been said by this woman. Interesting. So she's very mysterious. She's very much like Clint Eastwood's man with no name, of course, but of course she's a woman. And she pretty much, the only name she really goes by is Blondie because she's a blonde and that's what all the male people in the town call her. Fair enough. So... Anyways, the guy says, yes, this was a tourist town, but after the Westerns died off, everybody wanted to do more space stuff. He's like, this became more of an attraction, like a theme park-ish kind of thing. And he goes, and that drove, that that died away. So now it's just a ghost town, pretty much. However, keyword ghost town, because you have two major rival gangs. One made of vampires, one made of zombies. All right. So pretty much going through really quickly, uh, they give Blondie an ultimatum. They say, hey, join our gang. We'll you know, do this. Join our gang. We'll do that. And Blondie kicks fucking ass. Like, she comes in, guns blazing. Um, you know, and, like, first first issue, the, she, it looks like, you know, she's about, she's knocked out unconscious. And pretty much it looks like she, she was about to be raped. Next thing you know, she grabs the guy's gun and shoots a zombie through the head. Ah, playing possum. Very nice. Yes. So, issue three picks up, and she has to make her decision. And... I'm not going to say what she does, but the thing is, Blondie's very mysterious of a character. That's what I love about Eastman's writing, is that even though she hasn't said one word, you're like, you throughout all these issues, and especially issue three, you're like, okay, when are we going to find out what she is or who she is, more about her? You find out what she is during a very pivotal scene. Ah, interesting. And the cool thing about this is, 
is that while it's a western, it's very comedic in certain things. It's not like, oh my god, every joke is a, you know line is a joke. It's you know action, action, action. She does something like a vampire, and he'll like she's for example, she'll stab she stabs a vampire in one panel with with a lamp, and he goes, oh bullets won't hurt me. Oh shit. <laughs> 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 and uh, but I mean, it's very very much action. It's very awesome. The reveal towards the end of issue three. Phenomenal because you get who Blondie is. It's the 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 the, the, the curtains have been pulled back to see what she is, and it's really awesome. And it's one of those things where you, you know you have a stranger stumbling the town, and they, there's two rival gangs, and she says, you know what, I kind of want to do good, and I want to pit them against each other. That's what she tries to do, and then it just culminates into where the two the gang of vampires, gang of zombies, are like. Wait, she's doing this, and they all say, "You know what? We're joining together against this one woman who's been causing us so much p- problems." And then it pretty much ends with her blowing up part of the town. Okay. And uh, you know, it's not really a spoiler there, but after that, you get that big reveal of what she is, and I, I love this. It's a four-part monthly issue, you know, series, and. Eastman, the, the writing is great. You know, scrolling through the comic right now, you see some of the art. It's very chalkish. It's got like that matte finish. Yeah, it almost matte looks finish. Like. And yeah. what's smart about this is we're looking at the first page of this. These, the way that you see, like, there's, there's, I know it doesn't play well in audio, but there's a couple panels where you know there's this family, pretty much, that these tours that stumble in, and the way that. They're captured or more likely tricked by the zombies and the monsters. It's very smart because going back to what I said about the guy saying, "Yeah, it used to be like amusement. It used to have fake gunfights. They lure him in with that, like, oh, let's have dinner together and pretend they're like, oh, it's, you're at Chuck E. Cheese, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Then shit goes down wow. with the family and the monsters, and it's really gruesome. Like you're looking at this shit right now, man. Uh, like they're pulling people apart, and it's just—it is pretty brutal. It's yeah. pretty brutal, but this is a definite pull for me. Well, it's not surprising with somebody like Kevin Eastman involved that it would end up being good. And looks like he's created another great cast of characters, just like he did with the Turtles. But I decided to also go with a book that I'd been reading, and it actually this is the final issue, and it's Diesel by Tyson Hass. He actually does the writing. And the illustration, and it's from wow. Boom Studios. He gets a little bit of help on colors from Mario Cartwright and Letters Are Done by Jim Campbell. And again, I'll give you a quick premise of what's going on here. There was a cloud city named Peacetown, and it was actually a floating city <laughs> that would be that had to be piloted by a captain. <laughs> and uh, Diesel's dad was actually the one that actually kind of founded the city, built it up, and everything like that. And he was an engineer, and he was kind of grooming her to be an engineer. But she wasn't the captain because she was too young. She was waiting for her birthday. Well, let's just say in the first issue, the city doesn't get handed over to her. She's not the captain, and stuff starts to go down, and something very mysterious happens when basically this it, it, they're bird men, yeah. but they don't have wings. They okay. actually fly on engines, and we find out that there's a reason for that as the story goes on. Is it very? It sounds very like Bioshock. I think it's Bioshock Infinite. Uh, but is is uh, is it very like steampunky? It's, it, steampunk it is a little vibe. steampunky, but I mean, if you look at the art, it's very much oh, something wow. in the reign of what Scott Young would do. It's very Scott, Scott Young. It also reminds a little bit kind of of like if you've seen like Gorillaz music videos, mm-hmm. like a little bit has a Gorillaz vibe to it. And it's funny because the character of Diesel, she's very spunky. She's very. <laughs> I'm going to do what I want. Yeah. She's a little bit of a brat in, in certain senses, but she reminds me so much 
of uh, Vanellope Von Schweetz from <laughs> okay. Ralph. I mean, it's very much that kind of thing where she basically thinks she could do anything and to hell with it what anybody else kind of thinks about her. Yeah. But uh, in issue four, she's just run into a friend of hers named Bull, who's actually her brother, mm. who's, I guess, her dad adopted a bunch of kids. Or did he? That's the kind of one of the questions that we're trying to find out. Dad got around town. In this series. Well, there could be a little bit of kidnapping going on oh. and stuff like that. It's... It's it's pretty. You don't really know anything about the dad. One of the premises is she's trying to find her dad, and her brother Bull's like, "This isn't my father. I was kidnapped." And <laughs> it turns out they were trying to find out more about these birdmen. And it turns out I'm going to give away a little bit here. I normally wouldn't, but apparently there was a war between these birdmen and the existing people over this plot of land that was unclaimed. Mm-hmm. And the king of this land sets out a chemical weapon. That would actually make all of the children of this bird man of the uh, it was the Teppins was was their names. Yeah, it made so all their children were born without wings. So basically, their ability to fight with flight mm-hmm. was taken away from them by their children so not having much wings. It's like a town full of me. In a way, yeah. <laughs> In a way, it's kind of it's kind of funny it's how that able, turns out. Except able to climb, they can't fly. <laughs> so imagine, you know, thirty years later, these bird people are pretty pissed. Yeah. And they're trying to reclaim all of the land that they lost. And Stableburg's the place that they're in now. And they, they, they're they actually forcing people to build ships for them. So, long story short, Diesel is trying to find her dad. And they're trying to get these bird people all the way. Because the bird people crash Peacetown. It's crashed. It's mm. Everybody's presumed dead. There's bird shit Peacetown. everywhere. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you might as well. But for some reason, Diesel's the only regular human that can make these engines that the Birdmen run fly. She's the only one. Hmm. And we don't know why. And we still don't know why at the end of this issue. But there's a lot of action towards the end. They really explain well what the war was with the Tappans and the King. And the, the tension kind of between her and Bull over the dad, she still kind of loves her dad, you know, because he was really nice to her, brought her up, but he had a different experience. And the dad kind of takes off and disappears, and nobody knows what happened to him. So at the end of the issue, something actually happens, and it's kind of a touchy moment, and it kind of also gives you the, okay, this is a four-part series, but we've got a volume two coming. It's almost like when you see the end of a movie and you know there's going to be a sequel. See, that's why I was about to ask him. Like you said, oh, we don't know why she's able to do all this stuff. I'm like, is this the last issue? And I'm like, okay, we're getting a volume two. Yeah, because I didn't know there was going to be a volume two when I got into this. But she kind of, she's kind of growing up as it goes along. She's still a wise ass, but she's kind of growing up at the same time. And the stable bird people do something really nice for her. Mm-hmm. And she has a companion, like a little R2-D2 with her. <laughs> nice. And she calls it Ricketts. It's basically a built this this trashy robot that she builds. So, which is just a name, Ricketts. I know, and I mean, they, and they call it Ricky throughout the thing too. So it's yeah, it's very interesting. But let's just say something happens at the end where we're gonna find out more in Volume Two. It sets it up really well for what's gonna happen in Volume Two. And I mean, you're looking at the art to me. Yeah, it's amazing. It's even got a little bit of anime flair to it. A little bit of anime flair. Even the sky, I'm looking at it's got a little bit of watercolor look to Mm -hmm. it, which is nice. Um, And it's nice because you got that nice thin sky, like a yellow, green, blue sky. But then the smoke is just very thick. So it adds really nice layers to it too. It was it was a very visually striking series throughout. I mean, they really uh, Tyson has took great care with not just the story and creating all of these characters, but also making it visually striking as well. So I think that I mean Tyson has to me is one of these people to watch 
as as his career goes on and and he starts making more comics. And this ser- this whole series was a pull for me from the beginning. I reviewed issue one on our website a while back. Mm-hmm. I wanted to circle around to it for issue four. It's a pull for me. Pick up the trade and be watching out for volume two. Not sure when Boom Studio is going to release that, but when they do, we'll know. Well, there you go, and there you have it. We have two new comics this week that we just reviewed. Both are pulls, so again, go pick them up. Actually, both are pretty much, are actually four-part series. Yeah, how about that? But come up next, James and I whip out our lightsabers, and we have ourselves a nice little duel as we discuss and review what you've all been waiting for, Star Wars The Force Awakens, coming your way next here on Down Nerdy. Spoiler-filled, by the way, so be prepared. Hey, I'm Chloe Dextra, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, probably one of the biggest movie releases ever happened recently and I know it's been a while but we're going to talk about it. I actually got to see The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2 over the Christmas break. I know, right? I mean, this is one of those movies we've been talking about for <laughs> reviewing for a long time. You know, people thought we were going to do Star Wars. That was just a dry into the show. But really, you know, what did you think of The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2? I thought it didn't make as much money as Star Wars. So yeah, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about. <laughs> we're going to have to bump we were bumping Hunger Games to talk about Star Wars The Force Awakens. <laughs> if you stopped the podcast at that point, shame on you, okay? You knew we were going to talk about Star Wars. Come on. And by the way, spoiler filled, this is your warning. If I could flash lights in your house, red lights and sirens and stuff, I would. This is your warning right now. This is a spoiler-filled Star Wars The Force Awakens review. If you listen beyond this point you haven't seen the movie, it is your fault. Okay? Yes. So, with that being said, we will now continue. Yeah, so we both have very differing opinions on this movie. So what we're going to do is instead of it going to be a battle royale, we're going to be going to war and talking over one another... I'm going to let James go over everything about the film first, and then I'm going to go over everything about the film after him. So I'm going to start. James, go ahead. Okay, so since everybody's pretty much seen this movie, I'm not going to go into, here's what the plot was, and here's this, and here's that. I'm just going to tell you the reasons why I liked this movie. I'm going to start off with the new characters from the movie. I don't think that there was more pressure on a filmmaker, maybe ever, to get a new set of characters right than there was for J.J. Abrams. And for some some miracle, he was able to get every antagonist spot-on, likable, correct. The stories, I thought, worked really well for both of them, for Finn and for Rey. I even think BB-8 was one of those big risks because, let's face it, it's R2-D2. You're basically trying to replace R2-D2, but for some reason... BB-8 was just as lovable. Maybe not as much as R2-D2, but definitely close enough to the level where, you know, you appreciate it. Like, he did the little toe-in-the-sand thing when he was upset when Ray didn't didn't want him to come with him. I thought that that was funny. I loved that. Um, I think the action sequences were great. I think that the practical effects were awesome. Uh, I think that they mixed that very well with the CGI that they did have to use. Um, I liked that... While there were some similarities, and I will not shy away from the fact that there were some similarities to A New Hope, but I like the fact that they put little bits of different twists on him. And one thing that, and I think Nick and I will agree on this in a weird way, when he starts his up, for some reason, the stormtroopers in this movie were deadly accurate. They were not, they were not 
missing stormtroopers like the usual at all. They were deadly accurate for some reason. So I like that that was a little bit different of a twist. Um, I liked... I, I just liked it. It made me feel good. And I know that, you know... Maybe it was a little similar to some of the stuff that we've already seen, but I think that it just made me feel good. I liked seeing uh, Han and Chewie back. I liked the byplay between Han and Leia during the movie and how their relationship kind of changed and they had to go their separate ways because of what happened with their son. And I'm sure Nick will get into that here in a couple minutes. I just liked the feel. I liked the ending too. I like it when you know you got a trilogy coming and you just set up the next film. I thought that they did that very well. I don't know if I'd call it a cliffhanger, kind of be a literal cliffhanger because they were on one, but uh, I, I like what they did, and I like the way they structured it. I like the way that even though some scenes were similar, they made them different. It felt to me, I got a very big Back to the Future 2 vibe off of this, and I anybody that knows me knows I love Back to the Future 2 just as much as Back to the Future 1, where there were similar themes, similar scenes, but the way they changed them up made them great, and, and I got to tell you, I really, really enjoyed it, and it kind of restores your faith in the Star Wars franchise again. Okay, so I'm a, here's the thing I'm going to start off with. I did not hate the film. I, I didn't hate it. I thought it was very disappointing. Now, I'll start off with the characters. Now, I will agree with James that I did like Ray. I liked Finn. I liked Poe Dameron. But, however, I felt that Kylo Ren, for the inexperience that they showed he had in the film, I felt that the problem with him was you show him doing something really, really badass in the beginning of the movie, which is pretty much stopping a blaster bolt from hitting him mid in midair, like midstream. But then you pretty much tear him down. You take away that badassery and the, his ability to uh, command the screen when he appears on the screen in terms of showing him flipping out, uh, destroying things, giving tamper tantrums. Now, I'll say this. Episode 8, I expect him to be maybe command that screen presence more because, again, you know, we see uh, Grand, Grand Leader's, Grandmaster Grand Leader Snope saying, you know, his, 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 you know, bring him to me his, so I can finish his training. However, here's the thing is that, like I said, I felt that he wasn't as uh, deadly or, or, or as screen grabbing as I wanted him to be. I felt that he was kind of lazy. I felt that he didn't really bring much in terms of being an antagonist. The same thing with Supreme Leader Snow, who's pretty much just the Emperor because he shows him only in hologram and, he, and then has the whole apprentice thing with, this, with you know, Ren. Um, you know, the thing about Ren too is, I think maybe something we're going to get more in Episode 8 is the whole Knights of Ren theme because we didn't see that. We saw that a little bit in Ray's kind of flashback memory thing, whatever. But here's here's my issue with this. This movie makes me wonder if J.J. Abrams ever had an original thought in his life because the movie is, while not slavishly like Episode 4, it is directly a lot like episode four. Like even the opening scene is episode four, except instead of Leia is Poe Dameron. Instead of R2D2 with the plans, it's BB-8. Instead of plans to a ship, it's a map to where Luke Skywalker is. Instead of Kylo Ren being escorted, you know, by two stormtroopers, or instead of Vader, it's Kylo Ren being escorted and doing the whole uh, interrogation thing with Poe and stuff like that. Um, I felt that Ray. You know, when you look at her, and you know, 
she's Luke Skywalker again. She's on a desert. It's another person on a desert planet. Doesn't know has, where the fa- who her family is. Um, you know, there's there a lot of this movie that was really like the fourth one. Another fucking Death Star, which pissed me off to no end um, because I thought it was lazy. They destroyed the Death Star the same exact way, pretty much, except in the, you know, except unlike the fourth, uh, the, the the episode four, they go inside of it and blow it from the inside instead of blowing up of blowing shooting through a vent. Which in this case, they had to blow up a vent and go in and do that. I felt that General Hux was pretty much the commander in episode four, you know, except just Jesus Christ, you could choose scenery even more if you could. Um, I will agree that the stormtroopers were more deadly. I did like that about that, though, that they were more deadly. I just felt that in terms of beats, in terms of storytelling, that this was exactly like, you know... <laughs> my text tone just went off so you can't text. you can't time that and that was not on purpose at all no, um but no I, I just felt that there's a lot of this movie uh you know the kessel run scene you know with, with them even on jakku but you know and stuff like that uh it, it's just i felt that this movie didn't offer anything new and what was disappointing me about this movie was that it's set 30 years after return of the jedi yet doesn't yeah, it felt more like a remake and a redoing than, than giving me something new. And, and that's what I, I wanted. Um, and I understand people are saying we wanted to make it more like, you know, fans are like, we, oh, we wanted to be more like the old ones. Well, yeah, and I understand they have a certain fan service. You know, of course, I was in a sold-out theater on Friday morning at 10.30 in the morning, and people were, you know, there was a group of people cheering when they showed the Millennium Falcon and stuff like that. I understand that. And from a visual standpoint, it looked beautiful. But from a story standpoint, I wanted more, and it didn't deliver on that. And this isn't even going to be one of my top three films this year. It's not because it's just – and I said this on Facebook. I said I, people right now are very giddy about it because it hits on that childlike tone of like, oh, my God. This was like when I was when, you know, a teenager. I saw episode four, five, and six for the first time. You know, It hits on those things, but as time goes on. People are going to look at this more, just like they did with episode one. Remember, people were so jazzed about the, the episode one, and then they, what happened? They went back, and they watched it more, and they saw that, well, you know, it wasn't a good movie. Just like with this one. You know, they'll see it more, and the more they'll, they'll analyze it more. So, you know what? Yeah, this really wasn't a great movie. It was more of an average movie. And, you know, and, and here's one thing I'll say about the prequels. As much as I hate the prequels, at least they were original in terms of story. And the story wasn't good. I'm not saying it was, but it was original. And the problem with the prequels that had a big thing was, and the reason why I think this, this movie is getting so much acclaim, is because the prequels had to live up, they had a high hurdle to live up to, which was the original trilogy. Whereas this one, it had to jump over a small hurdle of the prequels. And this, and I'm glad, and this is why I'm glad that Ryan Johnson is doing episode 8 and Colin Trevor was doing episode 9. Well, actually, I, I kind of fear Trevor was doing 9 because of what he did with Jurassic World. I was going to say, you, you yeah. want him to do episode 9? Really? You? Well, this is why I'm happy Ryan Johnson's doing 8, let's just say this, because he's did a, a, the Ozymandias episode for Breaking Bad. He knows how to write original shit. Like, he knows... But my biggest fear is that Disney... This is my big fear. Is that Disney wants to play it so safe that all we're going to get is just rehashings and retellings of 4, 5, and 6, except with different characters and a different coat of paint. That's what I fear. And, you know, and, and here's the thing. People are saying, well, you know, the kids, you need to get something for the kids to kind of have them jump in. 
They got the fucking prequels. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they had 1999. You know, it was been 15 years. You know, they, 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 they prequels suck. But you know, at least they got something you could start them off on. Or and people say, well, people want to go back to watch four, five, and six. Well, I'm kind of sorry, but you kind of need to if you want to get to you know in episode seven, eight, or nine. You know what I'm saying? It's not like you can't watch. Oh, we're gonna watch one, two, and three, but we're gonna skip four, five, and six because why? Oh, because they're made in the seventies and the early eighties. Ah, oh, fuck that. Like you know, like. Yeah, that's how you have a general, an appreciation for film, and I feel that JJ just pulled a Star Trek. This is everything I felt that that this is why Star Trek fans have the right to be upset at JJ for what he did, because like I said he just doesn't. Going back to like his other movies, like Super Eight, that was just a bunch of taking off from Steven Spielberg, and you wonder like, does he ever have an original thought? And this to me is, a, I don't view him as a good director. I don't because of this because. Episode 7, like I said, it's just a bunch of rehashes, a bunch of, hey, remember this, remember that, you know, but they just flipped the script on who was taking place in this, and, I, I mean, I, like I said, I wanted more of it. I didn't think it was a horrible film. This is when one of those films where, like, I will watch it, maybe when it comes on Blu-ray, maybe I'll buy the Blu-ray, you know, just because I have 4, 5, and 6, but it's also one of those things where, like, you know what, if I don't see it for a good amount of years, I'm, I'm good. You know, this is one of those things where, you know, this is going to be a type of movie where you put it on at like a party and nobody really stops to watch it for a couple of people because it just doesn't really grab your attention. And, you know, and my thing is just, you know, with, with certain characters, like I said, I felt that they were just, uh, you know, flip offs and rip offs of, of past characters. And I really felt like, like the one thing I, I want to say is with Han Solo's death, that was just, to me, that was a big crime, a crime for me because listen, I understand they want Harrison Ford to do Indiana Jones, but when Kylo Ren kills his father, that was just say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take the Darth Vader striking down Obi-Wan Kenobi, and we're going to switch it to these things. And I don't want to hear the fans' theories about what if he's a double agent? What if Kylo Ren's a double agent? Because that builds my fear, too, of like, oh my god, he's going to become so evil in episode 8 and episode 9, he's going to have that that light's going to hit him like it did with Vader, and he's going to flip Snope over a balcony and kill Snope? Like, that really fe- makes me fear. With that, I'll let you dive in with what you want to say. I was going to say, you're killing me over here, man. <laughs> I'm trying to be patient here. Look, I totally disagree on Kylo Ren. Totally, 100% disagree with your analysis of him. I think that the whole original, no original thought thing, you lose in Kylo Ren. Because Kylo Ren is different from any Star Wars villain No, he's not. Ever. No, yes, he's he not. is. No, stop. No, Wait, but no, 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 no. You had your chance. Now it's my turn. <laughs> Listen to me. He threw a hissy fit. They don't do that in Star Wars. This guy is a kid. He's Anakin from episode No, 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 no. No, he's not. Yes, he's he not Anakin. Is. No, he's not. He's not a- Anakin from episode two. When he's he not. When he tantrums, he reminds me of Anakin from episode two. It's not Anakin from episode two at all. He's he's an admittedly flawed and conflicted villain. He admits it twice in the movie that he's weak, he's conflicted, and apparently knows nothing about Darth Vader at all. Because, you know, maybe he didn't watch the original movies either, because he apparently has a very warped sense of who Darth Vader actually was. He doesn't he says the whole I'm going to finish what you started. Uh he ended what he started. So somebody is feeding Kylo Ren a load of shit Here's because he doesn't know exactly this, this, who Darth Vader really was. So place, and and I just think that he's so conflicted. And it's not at all like Darth Vader striking down Obi-Wan. This is his dad. 
He's killing his father. Yeah, and Obi-Wan was like Anakin's father. He was like his father, not his father. That's totally different. Like someone's father and being someone's father is totally, totally different. Here's the thing, though. If you really think about it, I want to look at the beginning crawl of Episode 7. And pretty much when Luke went away into seclusion, shit started falling apart. Like, what bothers me a lot of people, too, is that this pretty much erases everything they did and everything they fought for in the past prequels by pretty much, you know, everything they did in Jedi and everything else by saying, you know what? We're going we're, we're gonna to be these types of strong characters and these strong people. And then all of a sudden, Luke just goes off and shit falls apart. And it's well, like. Well, they said that it fell apart before he left. Falling apart is why he left. Now, that's the big question for episode eight. Hey, why did you bail? Why did Yoda bail back in the day? Why did he go off into uh, to where he went to the Dagobah system and just bail? So there's a comparison that you missed to the original trilogy that was similar. Where Yoda, bailed, Yoda bails and Luke bails. No, Yoda bails because at the time... His people were getting killed off one by one. He was doing it more as to save his ass. But do we like, know that's not what happened in this instance as well? We were yeah, not we really told. Do because it was like we weren't Luke told had, what happened. Because Leia Pruitt says, "Oh, Ben went bad, and Luke's fucking gone." And it's one of those things, and a lot, of, and, and it's also probably a thing of like where Luke's probably getting really powerful to the point where he's saying, "You know, what? I'm better off maybe people not knowing that I'm with them." And to me, that's very selfish and it's very unluke like. Right, and that's what we need to find out coming up in Episode 8. They did not really give us any insight into that at all. Just because Leia said it doesn't mean that's exactly how it went down. So we don't even know. if To me, if this movie has a failing, to me, that's it. We were not given a good enough explanation in this kickoff film for why Luke left. There's no real explanation. Yeah, somebody went bad, he blamed himself disbanded the program and took off. I agree. That's very unluke like And I, yeah, I need an explanation for that because to me, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, going back to Kylo Ren for a second, remember when I reviewed uh, the Darth Vader comic? Yeah. I'm going to say it was probably six months ago. It was a while back. Yeah. And I was reading it and we both have liked the Darth Vader comic. Oh, but I felt that there was times in that comic, especially early on, where they kind of cut Vader down a little bit. And make him very un-Vader-like. And I felt that way in that comic. Like, wow, you know, they've weakened him here because basically the, the Emperor has no faith in him. He's trying to replace him in a way with a Commander Hawks-like character, by the way, in that in that comic, if I remember correctly. They're trying to replace Vader in command to the point where Vader has to hire Boba Fett to try and see exactly what the... Uh, Emperor has up his sleeve. So when I was reading that, I kind of got a very uneasy vibe of, you got a character like Darth Vader and you're going to do this to him? I think what the failing in a lot of fans' analysis of Kylo Ren is, is that you kind of hit it on the head when you said, I expected more. It's the expectation of what you thought he was going to be that I think leads to some people being well, upset about it. I, I think it was, it was because, like I said in my, my take, I said because you have him doing his kick-ass thing in the beginning... And then as the film progresses, you show him flipping out and like it's easy like okay, it's you need to have conflict within your 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 villains too. There needs to be a little bit of sense of conflict. But at a certain point it becomes paint by numbers as to when like, okay, this is drawing a lot on the past movies. So But he's, if I, if I he's read, more if I read, of a petulant child than Anakin ever was. Right. But here's the thing though, is that 
he, you know, here's the thing is that when you look at, at Ren, and, and I'll say this about the whole Darth Vader comic, I think doing something in the comic is totally different than doing something in the movie. And my, oh, my I agree big, with that. And my biggest problem is, like I said, this movie is set 30 years in the future after Jedi, but in terms of story, they don't really give you anything new. You know what I'm saying? They don't give – it's pretty much – and people are saying, well, that's the Star Wars universe. Things just happen over and over again. That's lazy writing. Like well, that's I really think that, lazy writing. I think that they did give you the Han and Leia conflict where they kind of had to take off from each other because well, they couldn't deal I, I with what happened. And then they went to – what did Han say? I, I went back to what I knew. But, but can I say here's a problem? I want to see if you had the same problem. So Han dies, right? Chewie and Ray go back to where Leia and everybody else is. Chewie and Leia don't even embrace one another. Yeah, that was weird. They just he just walks on yeah. fucking by and they yeah. have her embrace Ray. And it's like, dude, you just had this one guy who's tied closely to these two characters, and you only had that one moment of embrace. And, and what's funny one, is is they is they do when they first show up. Huh? No, what I'm saying but, is that, but no, but I'm I'm trying to help you make your point okay. here. Is that when Chewie and Leia first see each other back at the Rebel base? I'm just going to call it the Rebel base, whatever they call it in the movie, whatever. Resistance. They they see each other and they, there's the embrace there. So you get it there, and why you? I agree. Why you didn't get it at that critical pivotal point? I I think I think was a mistake because I know that they're they're trying to establish a relationship between Leia and Rey, but I think that's the wrong relationship. Right. To establish. I don't think that they're really going to have much to do with each other. And I think Ray is going to find her own path. And the other thing I wanted to point out about Kylo Ren before I forget this is that I, I think part of the reason that he gets cut down a little bit is think about it. This kid is a not fully trained Sith. We can probably agree on that, correct? correct. He's clearly not fully <laughs> trained. So for the first time ever, he encounters a Jedi. Because obviously Ray is a Jedi. I think so for the Ray, first time ever, he inc- he encounters a Jedi for the first time. Mm-hmm. A it's somebody that's at least on his level, which he's probably never experienced before. What happens when somebody who's inexperienced, like Kylo Ren is, goes up against somebody who's just as good or better than he is for the first time? They get chopped down. It's like that hotshot athlete. That is just tearing everybody up, but then when well, he meets something thing. that's his, that's his equal or close to his equal, it looks really different. But so that's why I think Ray was able to handle him. But a here's bit. the problem, though, with that though, is that with Finn, Finn was holding his own against Ren until, of course, Ren got against the tree and pretty much showed why he has that uh, that that the guard on his on his saber. I felt there was really no difference outside in terms of fighting. I, when Ray and Finn fought Kylo Ren, I felt there was no real difference outside. Of like when those two fought, like I'm like, because they both held their ground against Kylo Ren, and I'm like, if anything, that shows that he's not a strong antagonist. If a fucking stormtrooper can hold his own against you in a lightsaber duel, what the fuck, dude? Like Ray, here's my thing for Ray. I think Ray, we're gonna find out is she was probably one of those like Padawans or whatever like that that Luke maybe trained or that was maybe trained or whatever. And I think maybe she got mind wiped, and that's why she doesn't remember shit. Um, so I think Ray has some type of training. I'll say this right now: uh, Supreme Emperor Snow. I think he's Darth Darth Plagueis, and I want to see if this happens. Ray's staff, I don't think, is a staff. That's Darth Plagueis' lightsaber. 
Could be. Because he has the exact style. Because he has a staff for a lightsaber pretty much. So I think that's going to happen. I think Ray, like I said, I think Ray has had some previous training, but because maybe something that happened, they wanted a Jedi mind wiper. But like I said, my problem was how um, it was very like the whole lightsaber coming out of the snow was very reminiscent. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it was flipping the those things. I, I get what you're saying. And, but going, going back to Ray for a second. And I think this is where, again, the originality comes in is that Ray is different in that she finds out that she's descendant of the Jedi or that she's a Jedi, or at least in the, has that inside her. Well, she, she wants them. nothing to do with it. She's, she's like, you know what? No. I don't want to have anything to do with this. I'm out. This is too much for me. Now, granted, eventually she accepts it, but she's an ante- she's a protagonist in this movie that you expect her to eventually accept it and move on. And the other thing about Ray is, and then and again, how she's different from Luke in uh, A New Hope. Ray has nobody. She is alone, and they very much point that out. When she gets her little portion for what she scavenges, she goes back to her little hovel. She sits by herself, and she's depressed. Oh, she you is, can well, tell she's depressed. Well, she, I, I, well, that, but also she. You think about it, if you look inside of her where she lives, she's got like all these like rebel figures and, and it's the rebel she's a helmet. Fan girl, oh, she's yeah, fan girl, yeah, definitely. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so she she is very different from Luke. I see people saying, oh, it's just Luke again. It's not at all. It's totally different. I her family still, is gone. I think, yeah, but I mean... She's delusional. How long, yeah, how long was Uncle Owen really in the movie before he got burned? Right, but yeah, but still, that, that you had somebody. And he had obviously lived with them for a while. So it's not like... He just, it's not like he'd lived with them for a couple days and the farm burns down. He's clearly lived with them for a while because remember, they have the whole argument about, about how you want me to stay on for another season? We, you said that two seasons ago or whatever. So obviously, Luke lived with Uncle Owen for a while, whereas Ray has had no one for who knows how long. And she's scavenging parts to get food, like bringing games back to GameStop and getting $2. You know, it's yeah. one of those things where she's. She is alone. She's struggling, and it's difficult for her. But here's her. my. I just want to run over the reasons why I think this is pretty much just a ripoff of New Hope. Okay, you have a protagonist who later learns the Force on a desert planet, doesn't know parents. Protagonist comes into possession of a rolling droid. The droid has a map. The Empire New, or in this case, New Order, is looking for the droid. The Empire slash New Order kills villagers looking for the droid. Protagonist visits Cantina and is aided by Han Solo and Chewbacca to escape the rebels. Or escape to the rebels in the resistance. Uh, the antagonist kills father figure on Death Star with lightsaber, while protagonist looks on helplessly from afar. Uh, Death Star blows up other planets. Rebels use digital maps to create battle plans to destroy Death Star. X wings blow up Death Star the exact same fucking way, pretty much as the other ones. The Death Star thing I could have done without. I could have done without the whole Death Star thing. I think that you're missing the one of the bigger points here of something that you should be upset about. And that's Captain Phasma. Where was, was Captain Phasma? I was Phasma? upset about that. I was really pissed about that. Where, where was that? Because it, it was built... But, and again, this is why I can't be too upset about it, because you know you build it up in your head, and, and then and, and then you get something totally different. We, we were kind of given the expectation that Captain Phasma was going to be this huge I felt, part of the movie, I and felt that, she wasn't at all. Well, I felt that Captain Phasma was going to be like the Boba Fett, pretty much. And, and that's not, it, or even at least the captain well, of the stormtroopers, well, you know, like a legit, like hardcore captain. Well, when you get an actress like Gwendolyn Christie in that role, like you're like, yeah, like, you're going to be awesome. And then you like make her not really all that interesting and you don't well, do much with her. And there was no screen out. time. 
No, there wasn't. There was there none. Wasn't any at but, all. But again, the, the problem here, too, is that this movie was called The Force Awakens. Right. So the fact that this wasn't really a focus on the villains or on the First Order, I'm okay with that because this was about, hey, the Force is still around kind of thing. And that's another thing they drew from A New Hope was well, that... I was that. Hey, we thought the Force was gone forever, and now here it is again because we've got Luke Skywalker, and in this case, Ray, and maybe Finn. We don't know yet what what Finn's deal is, or who he might be descended from, or if if it's anything like that at all. Well, here's so the thing. we don't. We there's a lot of stuff we still don't know, and that's with everything I've said about with everything I said against this movie. I'll say this: I do love the fact that they made the Force this like spiritual thing again. Like it's not about your midichlorian count. It's like no. It's this, like, thing that's around you, and it's this thing that builds. And as we see, like, as it jumps ahead 30 years in the future after Jedi, people are much more stronger now. Like, like the Force and people are, are stronger. Like, you know, and that's the thing. Yeah. And, and, and it's a growing thing. Um, but, yeah, and I'd say it's like with Luke Skywalker at the end. I'm like, really? You, you brought Mark Hamill for, like, two seconds to stay well, on the Well, I, I actually kind of expected that. Well, yeah. I expected, I expected third, that. I expected him to be a third act kind of a thing like that. But I'm like, okay, it's going to be kind of... Well, if, if they gave him a bigger role, it wouldn't have made sense. So I understand, kind of understand why they did that. It wouldn't have really made sense. But, again, another thing that I thought was pretty original and it's going to be, I think, really interesting going forward is the Stormtroopers are not clones anymore. No. The clone program is over. They're kidnapping people now. Mm -hmm. So that's what the First Order is doing. They're kidnapping children and training them like warriors Here's from the birth. How much do you want to see like a spinoff maybe or like something like a, like a between uh, Finn and Poe? Because they were like throwing off the entire movie. I thought, I thought that was really cool. I, I really liked Poe a lot. And I liked Finn more than I actually expected that I was going to. I wasn't sure how big of a part he would really play, but he won me over in, in, in a lot of ways in this movie. And I think John Boyega did a really good job oh, yeah. uh, in the role that he was given. And, and again, the whole kind of conflicted thing, which is funny because they, they kind of paint Ray as more of being, you know, the Han Solo type. And then Finn kind of is more like Han Solo, where, where he's like, you know what, I don't want anything to do with this. I'm getting a ship and I'm leaving. Right. Kind of thing. Well, so, Finn, I, I think that's this. interesting. I want to say this. One thing they did, with, they did with Finn that was really smart was they really, I think, captured the PTSD angle really well. Oh, they really did, yeah. Like, really like did. when he's got that blood over his mask, he's like, oh my god. Like, And it's just that, that awakening. And it's, it's like I said... Sir, there's, there, like I said, this isn't a bad movie. It's just to me, an, it was just to me an average movie. I understand why you're upset. I'm not saying I don't get oh, it. I know. But what I'm saying is, I think if you can look past the moments that were similar to A New Hope, there was originality there that going forward is going to, I think, really pay off in this franchise. Well, I, think, I think they, I think what this film was meant to do, mm -hmm. period, above anything else was restore people's faith in Star Wars again in any generation, and J.J. Abrams was given, let's face it, an impossible task. Not, if he no, made it, it if he if he made he was it, not if he made it completely task. original, that's a huge risk, a huge risk. Because right. Star Wars, but, and but, you know what? This discussion proves my point that nobody is more critical of anything in this genre of nerddom than Star Wars. Well, here's the thing. At all. Well, I, don't, thing. I think no matter what he did, there would have been a subsection no. of people just as large no. complaining about it. No, no, no. If he was original, here's the thing. If he did something original, like I believe Ryan Johnson will do, because that's what Ryan Johnson does. If he did something original, he wouldn't. Like I said in the beginning, 
I understand you need to do fan service. I really do. But here's the thing. Don't set a movie 30 years into the fucking future and pretty much give it the same premise as the first film in the first trilogy. But don't again, give it the same again. beats, don't give it the same storylines, and don't give it the same characters pretty much just with a different coat of paint on them. Again, and, and sell it as episode seven, this is a continuation. If it, you know, sell it as a fucking reboot if you want to do it that way. You there know, was another movie that was set thirty years in the future from its original that was widely loved, and that's Back to the Future too. But that's fucking different. Which also had fan service moments. Which also had moments that were very similar to the original with a different twist on them. It's the same concept, and it worked for that. No, no, no. Here's the thing. Okay, this is why. Sit down, boy. I'm gonna fuck you with some truth. Okay, so here's the thing. You can you can try to all you want. All right. It's it's. But here's here's the thing. Back to the Future had to have those moments because they're going through different timelines. They're going to the future, going to the past crossing time barriers, stuff like that. Star Wars? Fuck no. It's a 30-year continuation of what happened in Jedi. So you're that, saying that stuff that happened 30 years ago should happen again 30 years no, after that? I'm saying what happened... It should happen exactly no, the same I'm way saying, as it did before. No. I'm saying if you're going to set a movie in the future like Star Wars, like with the premise of, hey, this is episode 7... And it's not a time travel movie. That's the thing. Back to the Future, it's a time travel movie. Star, Star Wars, not a time travel movie. They didn't have to travel in time. They waited 30 years. But here's the thing. <laughs> they didn't have to travel. But here's the thing. It's still 30 years you later. They just didn't jump in a car to do fucking it. fucking finish. I'm about to pull out my lightsaber and fucking cut you with it. You have a movie. You set 30 years. as a, You set it as this is a continuation of shit that happens in this realm of Star Wars. And then what do you do as a writer... You say, you know what? We're gonna take a lot of stuff from Episode Four, rehash it this, so we can just just to get people to believe in them. And the thing is, you could got you could have gotten people to believe in Star Wars because a, it's fucking Star Wars. B, yeah, the prequels were shit, but the really but the hurdle wasn't that high, so you could have done something original and not rehash Episode Four. Yeah, I but- think Episode Eight is gonna be better, ten times better. I think I'm gonna get more enjoyment out of that than this. Yeah, but here's the problem. You say all those things that you just said, and if all of that was true, then people would like the prequels. Because it's Star Wars. So if it's... No, 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 no. Give me my turn. My turn now. So if what you're saying is true, then it's Star Wars, so it doesn't matter. Give me something original. Doesn't matter if it's a huge risk or not. Give me something original, and people will like it. Clearly, that's not true, because they tried it three times, and it didn't work. I'm not saying that they had to do this. I'm not saying that they had to do as much of the going back as they did. But your point is not valid, because if it was, people would love the prequels too, and that's not the case. My point is valid because of this. Because George Lucas has said the prequels are more... He said he created the prequels to gear them more towards kids. This is going to be set more towards people our age, people who grew up with Star Wars. See, I think that it's set for everybody. But here's the I thing, think it's, I think it's actually Star set Wars, for everyone. The prequels had a lot of problems with it. First of all, they, they made the Jedi... They, they really focused too much on the Jedis, and they made the Jedis so boring. So boring. And they set... On, and the problem with the prequels, too, is outside, of course, the acting and the script. They set their sights on... They want, I love that they were original, 
but they set their sights on the wrong things. Where I think maybe had they set them on something different, maybe they would have been better and people would have liked them more. But my thing is this: it's just I just have a problem with saying, "Hey, this is episode seven. This takes place at this time." And it's, you know, and I expect progression. That's why I felt. I, that's the key word here, progression. I felt I wanted progression in the universe and stuff like that. You want to bring back the, the First Order as, as the pretty much the Sith, that's fine, you know. But the thing is, when you hit certain beats and you make it pretty much paint by numbers and you say, and you're worried too much, you got to play it safe too much, people can see that. And I think a lot of people now are seeing it because I'm seeing it a lot on Twitter and on Facebook. So that people are, say, are, are saying, you know what, this really, it was a good movie, but it was an average movie, and here's why. You know, and like I said, the original Alley prospect of the prequels, and here's the thing, yeah, they were bad. But the original, you got to think about it, though the originality on it though. At least they took the risk. And again, what did the prequels have to measure up against? They had to measure up against the fantastic original trilogy. And what did this have to measure up against? It had to measure up mostly against the prequels. Yeah, but that doesn't matter. I don't. It think. does matter. Who because cares what it has no, to measure up to? No, because you said it's Star Wars, so it shouldn't matter but what it has to measure up to because it's thing. Star Wars. So when thing. you said it's Star Wars, that unvalidates everything else no, because if it's star wars then they should enjoy it no, well, because said, of star wars well, I, I said star wars because you can do original you can be original with it and it can have it be successful because again the prequels didn't ha- weren't that big hurdle and again because you have that fancy because you're you can bring back the here's the thing you bring you brought back the the old veterans of the older movies okay you, you bring back those certain types of fan service but you mix in a lot of it being you know, if you if you make it like thirty five percent fan service and seventy five percent originality, I think you would have been a much better film. See, I, I don't think they focused on the old the old cast at all, at all. This was a movie about Ray and Finn. That's what this movie was about. I I did not I did not feel like Han Solo was a major part of this movie. I didn't feel like Leia was a part major part of this movie. Obviously, Luke wasn't. I feel like this was a movie about the origin story of Ray and Finn. And nothing more than that. This was to tell their story, granted, in a somewhat similar fashion, but I think that your anger towards what they did for fan service is clouding what this movie did really well and made it a little bit different from the origins that they had as opposed to the way that they started with Luke because it is totally different the way Ray starts than the way Luke starts. And that, to me, in the end, is all the silver the same, lining. But in the end, it's all going to culminate to end up in the same space. It's all but gonna... guess what? Who destroyed the quote-unquote Death Star? It wasn't Ray. It was Poe, who's not a Jedi. Right. He's a pilot. That's it. Right. So, granted, you're right that it was very similar fashion, but it was destroyed by a regular, well, what we, what we know right now as, a regular, ordinary pilot, who just went in there, cowboy, and blew it up. Mm-hmm. So again, right on the edge of different, but still different. Now you're you're tiptoeing the little the little balance beam there. I get that, <laughs> but still different enough that it makes a little bit of a difference. And again, the focus to in this movie from start to finish was Ray and Finn and their development and their rapport. And how they took different paths to get where they were, and different paths than their predecessors did, and and I think that they did that, and and really, uh, it was this was almost like 
a a validation of the stormtrooper too, which I thought was interesting. We touched on it briefly earlier about how you said Finn held uh, stormtrooper held his own against Finn. I don't know if that's bad for Kylo Ren or good for the stormtroopers. It's like you know what? Finally, stormtroopers are getting a little bit of respect. Well, to pick up a lightsaber and be able to go up against Kylo Ren, who even though he's not trained, has more training with a lightsaber than he does. I mean, isn't that kind of? Yeah, should Finn have been able to hang with him? No, probably not. I agree with that. I, I think that that was a little bit like, really? Now, hey, good for Finn. But uh, now, will we find out at some point that that, that uh, there's a little bit of the Force in Finn as well? Maybe. And if we do, will that valid? Will 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 this be like the Batman versus Superman moment that validates Man of Steel, where we find out in eight that oh, Finn's got the Force too? Well, that makes sense now why he was able to hang. Maybe I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I part of me hopes that's not what happens, but I mean that's a possibility. I just think Kylo Ren was so blinded by his own childishness and his clear daddy issues that he's not he's not a Sith. He's not a Jedi. He's a petulant child that needs to be shown the right way to go. And even he doesn't know what that is. And that in and maybe that's annoying for some people, but that's what makes him different than all the other Star Wars villains. Before we give our ratings, I just want to say this one last thing about Kylo Ren. Um, you know, when, when Adam Driver, of course, plays him, and there's two points where he takes off his mask. I felt that the second time he took his mask off when Han Prince yells Ben. I'm like, it doesn't have as much of an impact. If he had kept the mask on, I think... Yeah, they had to wait for that. I either. think I think had they... Yep. Had, and when Ray says, oh, I won't talk to somebody who shows his face, then I would be like, okay, bye, bitch. Like, I would have said, okay. Or or it's like he could have got... Or or thing was, he has thing where he can just put his hand to your head and approach, see everything. So it's like, he could he could have not taken off his helmet. And, and from when... With that, you approach... When he did that the first time, it pretty much diffused any tension that was I, in there. I agree that they they probably could have waited for that and given it more of a validity. I like the fact that he took the mask off. I thought that was, oh, that I was a humanizing thing. Off, but but was- I agree. If they would have waited until that confrontation with Han, I think, yeah, that would have been a huge, huge impact. Oh, exactly. I mean, that- So I do, I do agree with that. Now, I'm not saying that this movie is perfect either, but... but I have to play devil's advocate well, of here. Of course. And I have to, you know, because I enjoyed it. And I am, t- I don't know, man. I just, if it makes me feel good, I'm going to enjoy it. And right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go too but deep that's, into well, that's, certain things. And, and that's why, and that's why I think is, is a, is a, is a kind of an issue a lot of people who are seeing it is because, you know, we've talked to a lot of people we know who are big Star Wars fans. Like, oh yeah, I loved it. Well, why? Well, because it hit me in the child. It was good in childhood. But just... So some people, I understand if it, if it hits the right beats in your childhood and stuff like that and past memories, you'll, it'll be a good movie to you. But to me, you know, I, I'm not saying – you only have to be somebody that studied film. It's just, you know, it, it did have my childhood things. But again, I looked for more in terms of originality and script, but I didn't get that. But again, we've, I think we've pretty much you know, let's put our lightsabers away for now and I, let's, let's just give our ratings. I'm going to let you go first. I'm going to give this – Six and a half force chokes out of ten. Okay. Okay, I'm going to give this eight Jedi Sith hissy fits out of ten. And I'm, I'm going to try not to destroy my, my nerd wall with my lightsaber. <laughs> no, that's what your son is for. That's right. 
But uh, yeah, that's gonna do it for our review of Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Longest review we've ever had, by the way. Yes, but yes. that's that's what kind of you expect with Star Wars. Well, especially if you have two people who have different opinions as we do on this yes. matter. I mean, we we disagreed on Jurassic World too, but that that was a lot yeah, shorter. Fucking kid should have died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. So we go back to our review of Jurassic World, where James makes it seem like I want kids to die. Actually, I think you did a pretty good job of that yourself. I think I did. <laughs> but coming up next, it's Nerd News. We have a couple of stories to talk about this week. Stay tuned. We're down nerdy. Come up next. This is comic book writer Nancy Collins, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, it's that time, nerds, where we pretty much lower our lightsabers and we see what's trending around the world and on the internet because it's time for what, James? Nerd News! And our first story, of course, is probably, I think, the biggest story of the week, because it's actually our first biggest reveal of pretty much the end of 2015. And then, of course, Benedict Cumberbatch, full costume for Doctor Strange. You know what? It's weird that we're getting these things, like, right before the end of the year. Right. I mean, it seems like you would wait a little bit, at least until after the first of the year, but hey... I mean, Entertainment Weekly has been getting a lot of these reveals, and this is a good one. It's kind of like when you're jerking off, and there's a little bit more in there, so you're like, I just gotta get it out. <laughs> and that's what Doctor Strange photo is, pretty <laughs> much. That's, that's a disturbing image. <laughs> Very disturbing image. Hey, Colin had a masturbating bear on for how many years? And that, that's a good point. Yeah. So, and the diaper sold it, I think. <laughs> the diaper Man, sold that's it. That's just me. But anyways, enough about masturbating bears. Um, no, we're looking at the photo right now, and... The one part of this costume I was really worried about was the collar. Oh, yeah. Because it was, the comics, the collar is really much the most cartoonish thing. It's all thorny and high. And they're like, no, we're going to we're gonna lower that a little bit and kind of, uh, you know, give it more of a look. But, I mean, the hair, he's got the, he's got the gray in it. It looks great. Yep. The hair looks amazing. Uh, we got a little bit of, like, what maybe what his powers kind of will look like. Got the wispy goatee going wispy on goatee. a little bit there. Yep. Uh, and then, but now I want to talk about the Eye of Agamotto because mm-hmm. there's been rumors and there have been talks about in, in other stories that it's more likely to be the Time Stone. I think that that's probably a safe bet. I think it's a safe bet because you can look at it right now and you said maybe there's like a little bit of a green stone in there. Mm-hmm. You can see that there's definitely a little bit of a glow. I mean, your focus goes on the, the magical circle that's coming out of his hand, but if you really look and pay attention, you can see a little bit of a glow there. I yeah. agree. And, I mean, it's one thing that we've seen in Marvel movies a lot like lately with certain characters having certain stones pop like of course starting off if you want to go back to the like, Guardians um, with the, you know with the with the stone there and then of course Vision has a stone in his head and then of course Loki's scepter Loki's there. scepter as well. well yep um, and I mean what's cool is, is that it looks really like it, like I'm, I'm sold on the look um, my only worry about Doctor Strange is is I know it's going to make money because it's Marvel you slap Marvel logo in front of it it's going to make money yep However, it's getting. They said it's gonna, they're, they're going to go into more of the mystic realm. They're going to really go heavy on the mystic stuff. I'm worried as just I'm looking for more, more of casual moviegoers because people like us will get it. Yeah. But casual moviegoers, you see mystic stuff and all that stuff, and really, I don't know if they'll be, you know, I don't know if they'll be lost by it. At I all. mean, people like magic, and as long as it looks cool and they don't make it too complicated, right? I think that people will be okay. I mean, I think that. There's a there's an attention deficit there where you're gonna. You, I think that the casual movie going public, like you like you were saying, I think they gloss over a lot of heavy details. <laughs> so as long as it looks cool and and it and it plays off well on the screen, I think that that's all they're gonna care about. Unfortunately, but I mean, 
that stuff's more for us anyway, I think. We're, we're yeah. supposed to be the ones that are supposed to dive into that deeper and, and really care about it. I'm actually excited that they're going to dive into something a little bit different and open another door that Marvel hasn't opened yet on their series. I, and I, I think it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, and, and here's the thing, too, is I want to quickly talk about Mads Mikkelsen because there was all the report about him. You know, they don't say who he is yet, but... I'm saying this right now because Troy Algefor is Baron Mordo. Yep. So that's out of the picture. Yep. He's Dormammu. Yeah, I think so, too. He's got to be Dormammu. I mean, we know that he gets unleashed by Baron Mordo anyway, so, I mean, it mm-hmm. just makes sense that that's, what that, that that's what they would do. And, I mean, he'd fit the role well, I think. I think he would, too. But let's move on to our next story. It's actually our final story this week. Um... So DC, you're a big DC guy. All right. I want to get your because we were talking about this for about since it pretty much came out a few days ago. Uh, DC is actually taking some of their comics bi-weekly in 2016. And actually, they haven't told, they haven't said which comics. And this was reported by Bleeding Cool, of course. They haven't said which comics are actually going to be bi-weekly. But it said several of them. It now. did say that several, and we do know that there was another story that came out that's saying that uh, coming up, some of the main lines, Bleeding Cool also reported some of the main lines might be relaunching after their 52nd issue as well, which it's uncooperated right now, but we do know the bi-weekly thing is happening. It's just going to be interesting to see which titles they are. Are they going to be popular titles mm-hmm. like Batman or Justice League, or are they going to be some of the lesser-known titles like a Black Canary or a Doctor Fate, something that like that? But either way, I mean, think about the average person's pull and how this basically doubles your pull mm-hmm. because you're getting two comics a month from the same title instead of one. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's... I mean, even if it's a great series, that's tough on the wallet, man. Well, here's the thing is that, you know, people know you have a son. And the thing is that, you know, we were talking, we were texting earlier, and you're like, you know, man, I got to drop some titles. And I, I, and, and I don't know which ones. It's going to be a tough call because there are probably some good titles I got to drop. And yeah. you said, you're like, you know, even now, you're like, I have bags of comics I haven't even looked at yet. I do. I mean, I mean, you try reading a comic when you've got a toddler reaching for everything that you <laughs> have in your hand. And the last thing you want to do is grab those pages and pull down because... Yep. That's it. And then baby you know makes I mean? it funny, he starts laughing. Yeah, and he, he laughs and you can't be mad at him anymore. But, I mean, it, it's difficult, man, because there's so many good series that I'm looking at. I'm like, if this went bi-weekly, I'd have to drop this because I just can't afford it. And I mean, maybe that sounds ridiculous to people listening to the yeah. show. But none of us are made of money. And this is nothing, and nothing against DC. I mean, you always want more story, okay? Right. But you don't necessarily want to pay more for it. That's the problem. Right, and that's the thing. And then I'm looking at this from my angle, and I'm like, I'm looking at my poll when I go to Bob's every week, and I'm like, or, every, or whenever I can, and I'm like, okay, I only have, <laughs> literally my poll consists of like three things, Deadpool, Star Wars, and Batman and Robin Eternal, and, yeah. and Star-Lord, and that's it. And when you pull your pockets out and moths fly out like <laughs> yep. a Monopoly man, I mean, you're like, you're like bi-weekly? Like, I'm not sure that that's an option for me. food or comics? I mean, you've reviewed Sinestro several times <laughs> yeah. on the show. We know how much you love Sinestro, but if we went bi-weekly? Yeah, it's a lot. Can you handle that? I mean, you're already doing the weekly Batman and Robin Eternal, which... I mean, if you're going to do a weekly, you've got like maybe one or two weeklies well, in, your, you in your company, too, that's fine. Like my average, I'll say this, I'm not afraid to say it. My average poll, if you add it up maybe for like a month or maybe a couple of weeks, depending on what comes out, it's about 60, 70 bucks. But when you're spending 60, 70 bucks every two weeks, and then you're like, man, I could be buying a PlayStation game or, you know, paying a bill. 
You know, and it's, yeah, it's, I mean, you gotta make some sacrifices. I mean, when that sixty turns to one twenty, yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty high. I'm and and it, it'll either, maybe it'll force you to drop some other stuff. But maybe DC's hoping, hey, if we do this, maybe they'll drop some of the Marvel stuff out of their pull and keep our stuff. You know, that's maybe, smart. Maybe, maybe I don't know, but that that's risky, man. That's, that's a risky, risky play. It's very risky. But I mean, again, I think that the whole biweekly thing. I think DC, knowing DC, DC is very smart. And I'm not saying Marvel's not, but DC's very smart. Um, I think this is more of a testing ground. I think they're going to test it out, see what it is, see how sales are reflected. Well, the they tested quarter. the half-page ads for yeah. a while there, too, and that really hasn't come, come back, back in recent issues. So Yeah, so, and then you see that, and then I think it's a testing ground. Say, okay, maybe if we do this, and then who knows? And who knows? Maybe they, we don't know why they're doing it. People say, oh, it's because of the money thing. But maybe it's because the – there's only several books. So who knows? Maybe – some of the writers or the artists that work on certain books are saying, man, I got other books I got to work on and I can't make deadlines. So if there's a way we can maybe speed up the process a little bit or do whatever we can with the scheduling for when these books come out. And you know what? If it's a bi-weekly and it's a limited series, like say it's a, it's usually a four-issue series that would run for four months, you turn it into eight issues over four months, but it ends, maybe that's not a big deal because yeah. you can handle it for a month Maybe two and then it's over. But, I mean, stretch that out for an entire year run? Yeah. Ah, that would be tough. That would be tough. That would be tough. But that's going to do it for this week's edition of Nerd News. Come next, we're going to head out of the nerd world and into the kitchen as we discuss Star from Image Comics and its writer, Brian Wood. He's coming on next here on Down Nerdy. Hey, my name is Rafael Albuquerque, and you are listening to Down Nerdy Podcast. Well, we don't often talk about reality shows here on the podcast, but we're making an exception this week, kind of, because we're talking to the writer of a very exciting series from Image Comics called Starve. It's writer Brian Wood. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks. How about you? We're doing fantastic. So how's your week been going so far, gearing up for the new year? What's it been like? I'm good. Well, we're I'm leaving town later this week, so the last couple of weeks have been all about, like, rushing to get all my work done in, in, in advance so I can actually have a vacation. Yeah, <laughs> we know exactly that, what that's like. having to like write scripts and proof art and do all the stuff while I'm on vacation where my wife gets mad at me and everything. So, <laughs> you, I've been trying to like, you know, I've been working overtime getting it, getting it done. Do you, you ever know? find yourself like when you're on a vacation, like you're, like you're thinking of like writing like things like, here's an idea for this, I got this. Like, can, I, can, you, can you shut it off when you're on vacation or no? Oh, I really, yeah, because I'm, I'm desperate to shut it off. <laughs> it's like my dream. It's my dream, dream to shut, shut it off. Um, and, uh, yeah, I always joke, like, if I had my way, like, all I want to do is just lay on the couch. Oh, like, I hear my that. Fantasy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so on a vacation, I am more than ready to, to just uh, chill. Um, it, I just wish everybody else out there knew that and wouldn't send me emails. Yeah, that's my fault. (laughs) You know, and I'm too paranoid not to check. You know. Oh, I am too. Because I'm like, because I'm like, what if there's like a, what if there's trouble? What if there's something I have to, only I can do? You know. I was just on vacation and I got I got the eye from the wife several times. Like, why are you checking your phone? We're on vacation, kind of thing. So (laughs) I totally get it, man. Well, we're gonna talk about Starve now because we were very excited about it when we read it. As a matter of fact, one of the things I love about starve is that it constantly pushes the envelope from start to finish man so how important was it that you did that when you put the story together well it's i don't know like it was sort of uh 
it felt very natural. Like the, the history of this book is this, this is an idea I had like four, four or five, five years, years ago it was what I was going to do a vertigo after DMZ ended. And I pitched it and the vertigo was like kind of in, into it. They're like, this is weird, but if it's what you want to do, cool. And then they did the Anthony Bourdain graphic novel and mm-hmm. like, kicked and kicked mine to the curb. I basically got, you know, I, I lost out to Anthony Bourdain, which I guess I can't blame him for. Um, so then it just kind of like languished there. Like I didn't do anything with it um, until I was having a, a chat with the artist, Daniel, you know, and he's like, I want to do like, you know, he says, I'm always doing guest guest arcs on your books. Let's create something new. So I sent over like a bunch of ideas and this is the one he picked. So, um, and so we just kind of jumped, jumped into it. So it was very natural feeling in the sense that it was like already written. Like this is a guy that I liked and I've worked with before. And, um, like, it sounds like a little unprofessional, but we kind of just winged it, you know? <laughs> like, I wasn't trying to, like, I wasn't like, uh, this is like, I got to create this master story arc and blah, blah, blah. You know, I had a general idea of who everybody was. Right. Um, and a general, like, you know, sort of like the structure of, like, a TV show is the structure of the book in the sense that there's episodes. But that was basically it. And I just kind of let the... Uh, let the characters talking to each other take me through it. You know, there's like editing involved after that, but it's very conversation driven in a way that not a lot of my stuff stuff is. And that makes it a lot of fun. You know, I just kind of let everybody sort of talk a bunch of crap at each other, Mm -hmm. you know, then I sort Mm -hmm. of shape that into a story. And, you know, the, the, both the artists, Daniel and Dave Stewart, do, like, a lot of the work, too. Um, like, I write very lean uh, scripts. It's almost, almost only dialogue, actually, with, like, very little dire- uh, direction. And that's a, kind of a factor of the fact that, you know, Dan, Dan and I have, like, worked a lot, you know, in the past. So, um, and he just takes my scripts and, and goes, you know, and I have to, and I keep up with him. So, so Ryan, this is like my very long, long-winded way of saying that it's like, it's a very natural book, and it all kind of comes out naturally, and everybody's no stoked, stoked, stoked about it. Oh, exactly. I mean, we loved it. We we read it. And uh, when you're working on the book, Brian, what are some things that you just taken for inspiration? How did the idea of Starved just come about? Well, I was always a fan of the cooking TV shows. In like a very casual way, like I'm not a foodie, I I like food, you know, but I'm not like a nerd about it, you know, Um, and, but I do enjoy watching the, um, you know, the reality shows, you know, and uh, I kind of always, always have, and I was going through like a real, I was going through a real phase back when this idea first, first came to me where I was researching everything. Like that was, I was the guy that, that researched the hell out of everything, like my mm-hmm. Viking book, DMZ. And so I was like, I'm going to research the hell out of this chef, chef stuff. I'm going to be like an expert, you know, I'm, I'm going to, this is my next book. That's, that's going to be like super accurate, you know? So like I did a lot of reading with that in mind and then when the project didn't didn't follow through, you know, didn't hap, hap, happen to vertigo, um, like I just kind of walked walked away from it. And then when I came back, 
I like didn't 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 do any research because I figured you know I'm going to write this from the perspective of a of a fan. The, the, this is a book about a TV show, yep. so I'm going to write it like I'm like as a fan who watches these TV TV shows. <laughs> so it's not like the super detailed, processy, full of recipes thing that it originally was supposed supposed to be. It's a lot more like freewheeling, and I'm sure it's a lot more fun than it would have been the other way. Oh, it's definitely um, a lot of fun. As a matter of fact, you actually you yeah. mentioned reality shows. You poke fun at a couple of reality shows. One reference I caught was Hell's Kitchen for sure. So, are there any ones that drive you crazy, or are you a big fan? Well, as, what I what I watch now is I pretty much only watch um, Top Chef now, mm-hmm. and that's like a real show. Like I wouldn't, I mean, it's a reality show, sure, but it's not like a dramatic one. Like they're not playing it for for the drama. You oh know? yeah, it's mm-hmm. like a serious show. Um, but you know, I I used to watch some um, Iron Chef a lot, and that was like a big inspiration yep. in the sense of like yep. the of the stage of everybody up on stage and the competition aspect um and like yeah the gordon Rams, ramsey stuff i mean i actually like him his i've seen this, some of his british shows when he's not a dick you know when he's like a <laughs> human being and it's actually kind of funny because he's like a totally likable Oh yeah, pleasant chap, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, and I like those more than his like you know crazy American persona. So I'm, that's what I'm making fun of there is this crazy American persona. And also like books like Anthony Bourdain's books. There's this other chef called Marco Pierre White, mm-hmm. who I think is like the closest thing to to our chef in in the in the book in the sense that he's like this lanky, long haired, sort of Keith Richards rock star, wild guy you know he's like mellow now he's older now but he he wrote this autobiography and he's like the he's like the he's the archetype of that sort of like renegade chef you know um so he was he was like a major influence his his book for uh, me and also for dan and dan, dan you know who knew about him separately you know yeah, exactly. separate from from this project Exactly, and I'm glad you actually brought up Gavin because the series shows the you know how in the beginning how the fall of the world economy affected everybody, not just regular people, but people like in television, entertainment. Uh, how important was it to give Gavin that kind of huge fall right at the near beginning of issue one? Yeah, it's like a classic redemption story. You know, like I wanted, uh, I like the idea of like a down and out guy, like a guy who's old, older. Yeah, which is like a, which is the thing I've only been doing recently is like writing older char- characters. I'm kind of into it, but he's like a, he's like old in that like sort of broken down like Iggy Pop kind of way, where he's like mm-hmm. old. He's like young but old, you know, <laughs> kind of guy, aging rock star. Um, and I just wanted him to be like like basically a homeless dude, you know, almost, you know, and sort of like get get brought back and he's a cranky bastard and sort of has to figure out mm-hmm. sort of has to like fall back in love with with what he does and figure out what's important and sort of it's like a second chance it's like classic redemption and i, I really wanted to uh finally write that kind of character like that classic character that you love to hate which is a lot easier said than done. Like I've tried, I've tried that <laughs> before and it's really hard to kind of write that character. That's like a dick, but you love him anyway. You mm-hmm. know? So I think I finally wrote some, some version of that. I don't know if it's the best it could have, could have been. I'm sure it's not, but uh, that, that was what I was aiming for. 
Well, I wouldn't say love to hate about this next character, but I definitely want to talk about Greer for a second because I got to be honest, Brian, I got a real Joffrey vibe from her while I was reading this. So talk about her mindset a little bit as the story goes on. Wait, what kind of a vibe? What'd you get? Jo- Joffrey from Game of Thrones, where she was just a total bitch uh, and ruthless see, I, the see, entire I don't time. I watch that show. I don't, I don't oh, watch well, that show. So when your, you, so your when you do, lost on me. When you do, you'll totally understand. <laughs> well, the thing is, is like, yeah, she's that was that was a note I got back from some ed- editors. I showed this to you, and they were like, she's like. Like, that's not a nice character. Like, are you sure you want to just write this, <laughs> write this woman that's just like, she has no redeeming quali- qualities. And so, like, I worked on her, and I felt like, I mean, she can't just, she has a reason to be uh, to be upset. Oh, yeah, no know? doubt. Like, like Gavin done her wrong, you know? So, um, yeah, she's like a miserable person, but I, I'm on her side, you know, in like a large, large part, you know? Um, I feel like she's, kind of had a tough, tough life. So, uh, not to give anything away, but that eventually gets all ironed out, you know? Oh, it gets really but interesting for sure. It does. It, and it's sort of like, I mean, I almost joke about it. I'm like, how, what else could have possibly happened? But, but what happened? Yeah. It <laughs> you know, she to got, that she got sure. pushed to that, to like this sort of kind of extreme point. And I feel like now the the burden is on Gavin because it'd be very easy for him to be like, mm-hmm. like she's fucking crazy. I'm sorry, I don't know if I can swear. Oh, you guys, you can. Yes, you can. Please, I, I just, by all means, uh, let it go. <laughs> yeah, but he could be like, she's just like fucking nuts, like you know, and walk walk away. Or if he can be like, all right, I may maybe I should be taking some of the responsibility for this. So let me figure out how and why. You know. Mm-hmm. Oh, exactly. And obviously, it's more of the latter. Um, but uh, yeah, I was like, I was nervous when I when the book launched because I was like, man, I'm gonna get dinged for this for this character character because at first it's like she's so unsympathetic, you know, mm-hmm. she's like 100 percent horrible person, you know. But she stands out though, to, and that was a great thing. Right, and I, I just had to hope that everybody hung on <laughs> until we sort of saw some <laughs> some some development of the story and some like context for all for all of that. Oh, exactly. We're talking to Brian Wood from Star. Volume 1 is available from Image Comics January 13th. New issues, of course, coming February 17th. So, Brian, in this book, there's a character named Roman who pretty much was and still kind of is Gavin's rival. Describe the kind yeah. of impact he'll play on both Gavin's resurgence and his family as the book progresses. He's um, he's Gavin's rival in the sense that he's sort of like, you know, in Gavin's absence has taken over his, his show. And wants to keep it, you know. And so when mm-hmm. Gavin Gavin's coming coming back is like is like a threat to to him. But they're but they're old 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 friends. And they're the kind of people who are like friends first before they were anim- enemies. And it's almost been so so long that they've forgotten that they were even friends, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they'll they'll remember. That's another that's another uh, season two or volume two story plot nice i like how we're getting a little appetizers here yeah i mean <laughs> i like good. roman i like him i make fun of him for being fat all the time in the story <laughs> which I'm, I'm gonna get i'm He's gonna get in that, trouble for that too you know right that is kind of true in a weird way <laughs> it's <still Yeah>. true <laughs> 
Oh wow! Well, you actually touched on the on the art, and it is definitely amazing. And I think the colors really set the mood throughout the book. Was that part of how you wanted to tell the story when you all got together? Um, honestly, I kind of left left it up to them. Um, Daniel and Dave Stewart have a relationship, a working relationship. They've done things in the in the past. And so Daniel was like, I want to see if we can get Dave on this book. And I'm like, okay, great. And then we did. And then I'm like, you know, honestly, whatever you, you guys do is fine with me. I mean, I'm not going to argue with that team, you know. <laughs> um, I'm, I feel very lucky to be work, working with them. Oh, so yeah. they all work that out on their own. Um, and I sort of, I'm in a little bit aware of the process and why they do what they do. Um, but I, but I know that they generally try to treat, I mean, Daniel draws it this way, and I think Dave color, colors it this way, is each page is almost like its own thing, its own painting. Oh, exactly. And it has its own sort of tone and palette in some ways and focal point, and you can see how the art sort of like narrows to like a center focal point and then like grows back, back out again. I don't know, if you look, you can kind of see they're like arranging things in like a certain way. That's like, obviously, honestly, it's way beyond my, my knowledge. You know, <laughs> I just write the, write the words, you know? Oh, um, but I uh, no, I stay out of their way. And that's honestly the smartest thing I could do. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I like that. I like that laid back approach. You know, you guys do this, I, I'll do my thing. And it just culminates and creates yep. so beautiful in the middle, which is yep. fantastic. Um, and there's a scene actually where Gavin has to make a dish out of something that's pretty much well, mostly known as quote, the common meat. And it's pretty shocking as to what it is. Uh, has anyone ever dared you to eat something you deemed kind of weird at first while you've done it and maybe enjoyed it? Um, Sure. When I was a kid, my dad was like a, a hunter. Like okay. we lived in in the in the woods, and we got deer. So every went every fall, we got a deer. We'd eat the the, the deer heart. Mm -hmm. Oh, the heart! Just a Not just a venison, oh. the heart. And it was. It was, uh, it's like eating a liver. Like it tastes like a liver. It's not pleasant, you know, wow. but we did it. I don't know why, but, um, just maybe cause we felt like we, we were supposed to, or as a tradition or something. Because we're and, men. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I, I like, I always joke, like, I like, I, I, I own this, the soul of that. that <laughs> um, <laughs> do, you ever just, when, do you ever just stop in front of a car with the headlights and going, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> do you, you have a nice order of fava beans and a nice Chianti? Yeah, it was honestly it was gross. It was gross, but we did it. Um, <laughs> the other thing that I don't think is gross, but everybody really finds super bizarre, is we also used to fish a lot. And when my mother would fry the fish, she would leave the uh, tails on. They were like trout or perch. Yeah. And the tails would get crispy like a potato chip, and we'd eat them. Oh, I can see that. that was, I can see that. That was so commonplace that, that I'm telling you that now, and it's like the most natural thing in the world. But the look <laughs> on people's face is when I tell, to tell them that's what I used to do. I guess, I guess it's not a, a very common or natural thing. I don't know. I've seen it done, so you're not, you're not shocking me any. That's, yeah. yeah, I can, I've. 
totally seen that done. So you won't get any weird looks from me or anything. Uh, we did, Have you I, guys, are you guys like getting on that on that insect band, bandwagon, like the cricket protein no, or the cricket I, flower? No. I mean, I used to watch uh, like Bizarre Foods with Andrew Zimmerman, and it has the yeah. whole like scorpion and the lollipop, and like I can't do that, man, because at the end of the day, it's still bugs. Like, it's yeah. very, it's it's right. I, mean, I kill these things, you know, when I see them crawl on my wall, man. Exactly. I can't imagine putting them in my stomach. Josh Gates but does he, that kind of stuff too, and the stuff that that guy's eaten on his show. Right. Oh, yikes! But I, I'd be very hard pressed to eat a, a bug. But they make um, a flower out of crickets now that's indistinguishable from flour, from wheat flour. Wow! And oh, it's wow. in like it's in like energy bars and protein bars. I don't know. I lift <laughs> weights, so I like I'm like aware of like that kind of diet, like the heavy pro- protein yeah. bodybuilding yep. kind of food. Mm-hmm. And, and cricket flour is like all over that. It's everywhere. Wow. So I, th- I think this is becoming, it's going to become a, become a thing. I mean, I've eaten and honestly, like, like, if you didn't know there was cricket, it's not like it tastes like a cricket. I mean, what, what does a cricket taste like? No, yeah, one knows. I, it no tastes like it's just a powder. It's it just tastes, a powder. Yeah. It tastes like Disney when you bite into a cricket pretty much. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> it's very chirpy, <laughs> very chirpy. Yes. Uh, well, Brian, I got to ask you. We were talking about this before uh, we actually started the interview off the air, and I know you've written some stuff, uh, some Star Wars stuff. So, have you seen The Force Awakens, and what did you think of it? I actually saw it this uh, morning. I I'm very blessed to live across the street from a movie theater that has a 10 a.m. show. Yeah, there we so go. I just went over there. I went over there this morning and watched it. I mean, like honestly, it was it was good. There were parts of it that were so profoundly emotionally resonant that that carried me through the parts that I felt were were good but not amazing. You know, there's some there there are a lot of like highs and lows. I guess is, is how how I would say it. Yeah, I, it it wasn't the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life, right. but it was pretty pretty fun fun to watch. But and I'm I'm going to be very careful, but. And in, in not spoiling anything, but it was there were so many things like some of the other movies that I found that very very interesting. Yeah, that was that know? was very interesting. It it kind of had like a Back to the Future vibe to me at times, where you yeah, kind of yeah, it, it was, it was like, a wink it, and a nod I mean, kind of thing. It was so clearly a profoundly deliberate choice. Yes, that I'm I'm looking around for like the interview or the art article that like really explains it. You know what the why that choice was made, why all those choices were made, because it just seemed like I don't know. I didn't I didn't expect that. Yeah. You know? Well, we discussed it at length. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm of the opposite. I'm of the mindset where I'm not gonna go into detail, but I'm I'm of the mindset where it was an average film, and I felt that it relied to J.J. Abrams did too much lifting from the previous movies to where there were actual scenes or just, I felt recreations of uh, prior movies. I'm like, I want something sure. more original. Oh yeah. Without I want something more original. That's, that's all I want. Like I love the characters. I felt that the effects and those look great, but from a story concept, I just want something that was more original, especially when it was a movie that was set 30 years after Jedi. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It was so clearly, they clearly felt like they, they had to do it this way. So that's what I'm curious to eventually hear the reasoning why you know yeah from 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 the people that, that made that choice you know? oh absolutely yeah um but i actually like like i was thinking about it i was thinking about it compared to like the more recent prequels 
And this just, I mean, I felt like what the prequels lacked that this had and did so well was just like the like emotional component, you know, mm-hmm. like those prequels hit the details so hard, you know, yeah. so it was like so, so hard. Like it, oh, was, yeah. it reeked of Star Wars. I mean, that Star Wars coming out of its pores, but there was no like emotional right. aspect to it. Yeah, but this had the emotional stuff like big time. Um, so I could appreciate that. So, Brian, where can people find you on social media, man? Oh, God. <laughs> I've been in this process of, of the last, like, year trying to get myself off of social media. Um, just because it's, like, a little crazy. I don't know. Like, I, like I'm technically I'm on the Twitter, just, just under my name. Okay. But, um, Brian Wood. But I don't really um, use social media. Like I've been giving it a test. I've I've testing out not having social media in my life, and this feeling as a as a comic book creator, this assumption or this feeling that oh my god, if I'm not there, I'm going to cause my career harm. That's how we all feel, you know. Like I think a lot of us would be off social media if we felt like if we felt safe. That's to, great insight. That's great insight. So that's part of my like test is I'm seeing what happens if I if I don't really participate. Seeing it like I mean, like I my uh, gut is uh, worried, but my brain tells me it's kind of it's going to be fine. Well, I um, think that you've had so much good stuff and you've built up such a great reputation. I don't think that you would have any problem at all. And people are going to know that once they pick up star volume one, which is on January the 13th, that's when that's coming out. The second arc start of volume two actually starts on February the 17th. Single issues are available right now though. If you want to buy them individually at imagecomics.com or digitally or find them at your local shop, you can do that right now. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. This is a dish you will want to serve warm or cold. Thank you so much Uh, writer Brian Wood for hanging out with us today. Appreciate it. Oh, sure. Thank, thank, thank you. It was a lot of fun. So let's just point this out. Next time we have a, uh, a dinner party, I'm not letting you cook for me. Nope. Not. Nope. Again, I'm not going to bring the insects. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. Not going to no. be on the platter. No. But I mean, that was fun, man. I, I love that. Like, you know, we, you know, I, when you do something like Starve, when something, you know, like Brian did, and it deals with the whole food world and stuff. Uh, you have that's something you do have to be a fan of those shows that Brian oh, talked no about, those reality shows, those cooking shows. You know, I mean, I remember when myself when I was growing up, man. I used to watch, you know, my grandmother used to watch Emerald all the time, the two fat ladies and stuff like that. I and, totally watched Iron Chef too when he brought that oh, up. Oh god, like, yep, yeah, that was right there in my wheelhouse. I mean, I how totally much? Yeah, but how much of our love for Iron Chef came from tonight's secret ingredient is? Cool. Yeah, exactly. One one time they did Coca Cola. I thought it was the greatest <laughs> yeah, thing ever. You can make Coca Cola sound fierce. Yeah, <laughs> you're kind of taking it up to like another level. I cuisine. I remember. I always loved that part too. I see no. you in the words of my ancestor. That's I right. Cuisine. That's right. And I hope that this is one of the things that you listeners appreciate about our shows. Yeah, we love to talk about Batman and and Superman and the X-Men and stuff like that, but you know, we try and talk about books like this too because there's a lot of good stuff out there and this was just so different and it dealt with so many different arenas and emotions. I thought it was just a cool book and we wanted to introduce you guys to it. If you haven't read it already, go ahead and pick up Volume 1 when it comes out in January and get caught up before February and Volume 2 starts because it's a really interesting and intense read. Oh yeah, dude. I mean, there's like times I'm just reading, I'm like, Oh my God, this is so intense. Oh my God, this happens. And like, just, I want to point out, there's a part 
early on in volume one where he's like, I'm going to get what I came for. I'm going to burn this motherfucker down. Like, yeah. I'm like, Oh, and I'm going to tell you right now, if you are a game of Thrones fan, once you read this Greer to me, oh, yeah. it's that's, it's Joffrey, yeah. not like, not like dead on Joffrey, but enough where I got the parallel pretty early on, and it's not for the same reason. Well, as you see, though, it's like, like as Brian said, though, you've seen what's been kind of done to her. Yeah. And you're kind of like, yeah, I can see why she is very vindictive and yeah. very like this, uh, very pissy towards let's Gavin. Just, let's just put it this way, though. The level that she takes it at the end <laughs> of volume one, wow. And the subtle, the subtle way they just piss each other off yeah. throughout the entire book is really masterfully written so i'm so glad we got a chance to talk to brian wood about that and i'm glad we got to talk to him about star wars for a little bit too yeah man. i might not have people might not have known he wrote some star wars back in 2013 2014 so got to get we we got a little bit of his take on the force awakens you heard ours earlier everybody's got their take and, and you know i think that we're going to be probably people are going to be talking about this for years especially until the second one comes out anyways exactly speaking of things people are going to be talking about of course they're talking about us all over social media james we're on facebook at facebook.com slash down nerdy we're also on twitter at down nerdy 757 i'm on twitter at merc with one arm now where can people find you mr with i'm at james ace with them that's w-i-t-h-a-m and also you know we're kind of online too. Down and Nerdy Podcast.com, where if you want to find out what's going on in any show that we've got going on, and I'm talking about like a complete breakdown of what you could expect on Nerd News, what trailer reviewed our show or movie for Geek Tainment, we've got that up there as well. We also have the trailer up there just in case you're not sure what it is. We put it up there for you. And you listen live to the show right on the website, and it's always up first. Down and Nerdy Podcast.com. Exactly. Also, we have two books that we do each week, of course, on what we're reading on the show. However, over the past few months, we've been doing what we're reading online at our website, downnerdypodcast.com. We've been doing two different books. We've been writing short, and I do mean short, about three to four paragraphs long. We try to keep it brief. Which we keep brief, yes, of course, except for my first review, which was like two, you know, a whole dissertation pretty much on Sinestro. Well, you were excited. I was excited. But yeah, go to downerypodcast.com under uh, you know reviews, and it has what James reading, what I'm reading, and there you go. And we have, of course, a rating system at the bottom of each review. And in closing, I say this. We hope you had a great holiday season, and I leave you with the same words I leave you with every week, folks. Pray to safe comic book reading. Always beg and board your comics.